0: Getting longer and longer and longer, and so I decided to cut it into two Do first part today, uh, second part next sunday, and i 'll call it a series. How does that sound we 'll call it a two sermon series rather than us being here till two o'clock and so um, I, 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 there's there's, uh, there's some stuff that is I think very important for us to process, and i want I want us to look at what is the difference between Standing in the darkness and and looking into the darkness those are those are two different things and I want to try to unpack that a little bit what 's the difference between being in the world and not of the world that 's the scriptural context for what i 'm talking about. What does it mean to be light in the middle of that darkness and that uh, and that the danger of of looking instead of keeping your eyes on Jesus looking into the darkness that 's where the trap lies is 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 taking that step, it starts with a look into the darkness and and I was thinking about this Saturday. I was at <clears throat> uh, graduation for air academy and uh, and my nephew Alex was graduating, and Jack was graduating from um, air academy and, and and I was processing this, watching these these students graduating and you know walking across stage you get the the fake diploma, I do all this stuff and and, and just kind of thinking about this, and I know that, that some of this is just driven by just all the stuff I, I've been involved in being a representative over the last year, because it's, right, it's been a little bit more than a year now that I started the process. And, and these last four months of serving in the house, and I'm, and I'm processing this watching these, these kids um, walk across stage. And to me, 17, 18-year-olds are still kids, right? I, no disrespect whatsoever to the kids. But uh, but it's just I, I mean the older I get, you know, 25 year olds seem like kids to me nowadays. And and I just, just processing this and watching and realizing that the the vast difference between a, as they're graduating and they're they're stepping into the world, how different that American world is now as when I graduated 15, 16 years ago. And uh, what, that, what that feels like, what that, what that seems like. Um, the stuff that is, that is so vastly different, the, the idea that we really, our, our First Amendment rights have been so squashed in the last, okay, 35 years or so when I graduated but it's so different. What, what we even determine is First Amendment rights, right? How do, we, how do we look at free speech and how do we look at being offended and, uh, and all the different things of that? You know, you have the right to, to um, be upset about being offended, but you don't have the right to stop everything that offends you. That's not a possibility. There are going to be some things that are offensive. You do not have the right to squash everything that offends you. And that is the norm for today. I was thinking about some of the, the processing, even just going to a job and working at a job. You know, A few weeks ago, um, President Biden made it a law now, well, it's an executive order, that <clears throat> if you work in a government job, you have to go by certain guidelines. And some of those guidelines are you have to use... The, the pronouns of the individual that is... That whatever they say their pronouns are. And we were having a conversation just a few days ago with a guy that's, that's uh, got a transgender person at work with them. And uh, what does that look like? How do you deal with this? How do you navigate this knowing they need Jesus, but you can't say anything because now you're, you're attacking them? If you say anything, you're attacking and you're some kind of phobic. There's something phobic about you or racist about you or anything. And I even had this. I even had a very confrontational argument with the Speaker of the House because I said a, I gave a speech, and um, and she attacked me afterwards personally and then publicly from the floor, and said that that was hate speech. And I told her in, in about twenty different ways in different volumes that just because she says something I say is hate speech does not make it hate speech she's wrong but that's the norm in the workplace nowadays and we've got these guys graduating from high school that are going to be going into the workplace and they're going to be told what they can say and really what they're being told is what they cannot say and that this is not the same country it was when i graduated high school that the idea that you were you would be told that that you have to live a lie and verbalize that lie in the arena of sexuality and preferences of people in your workplace. I don't do it. I do not, I do not, um, I don't lie. And so if the, if the, if the, the uh, chair in the Capitol that moment, when I get up to speak, is a transgender, I don't address that. You're supposed to say, Mr. Chair, Madam Chair, whatever. I don't address that because I will not let anybody coerce me to lie. Jesus says I'm supposed to live by truth, so I'm not going to live and verbalize a lie. That becomes confrontational. I'm sorry, that's not my responsibility. I'm the one speaking truth. So it's not my responsibility if the, if the person that wants the lie has to have the lie. I won't do it. I'm not going to be a part of that. That's the workplace that these kids are going into. That's the idea. That it, that it is okay. And I, and I know that, man, the left hates this term. But in today's society, it's okay to groom kids into sexual direction. And to be convincing them at five, six, seven years old that they're actually a different gender, so that when they hit twelve, they can take the uh, hormone therapy and have the surgeries and everything that we made legal as a state this this last session. Well, that's not the country I graduated high school into. And these kids are facing very big, different things, big issues. That, you know, I was thinking about this, too. So when I graduated high school, the big deal was um, whether you're going to have sex before marriage. That was the fight everybody was fighting. That was the, you know, fornication. That was the, that was the subject. All these subjects we're having nowadays weren't really on the radar. There was, there was still LGBT. I mean, we didn't call it that back in those days. But there was still uh, transgender, still all that stuff. But it wasn't being forced upon society. And we were fighting the debate of whether or not uh, we're going to have sex outside of marriage. you realize we've left that so far behind now? That's not even discussed anymore. I don't even hardly bring it up in sermons because we've left it behind. The TV show Friends made sure that we know you can have sex with anybody whenever you want, however you want. It's okay. And you can also watch porn. That's what friends gave us. And, that, and we've left it by. Now, back up even a little bit farther. How about things like lying, gossip and stuff like that? The Bible still says there's are sins, but we are so far past that now. Having a discussion with somebody about lying almost doesn't make sense unless you already have the moral foundation. I sat in the Capitol day after day after day and listened to way more lies than I ever heard truth. Blatant, knowingly lying to people. So I want, us to, I want us to look at this. In 1 John chapter 2, and then there's a, we're going through some... I'm going out of the 1st, the 2nd, and 3rd Johns, and I'm going out of James. So it's going to be rough, okay? It's going to be a rough morning. But I want us to really to get something here. Verse 15, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love this world, nor the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. It's a huge statement. But here's the thing is how do you define that? Loving the world, not loving the world. You know, being in the world, but not of the world. And here's what I've realized over the years, that I can give some macro definitions, and I'm going to do that. But really, this is individualistic. Only you will know if you're truly loving the world. And, we, and I'm broadening that out. As I get down through this, we're going to look at some different things. But th- the, the, the darkness, the evil, the world system. That's another way to say it. Do you love the world system? That's actually what John 3.16 is addressing is the world system. I've preached about that before. Doesn't, that doesn't mean people, it means the system that includes people. That, that, that there is a, a demonic thing called the world. Scripture tells us that Satan is in charge of the world. That's part of the deal with, with Jesus' redemption plan, which we usually only focus on the individual human when it comes to salvation. That's why I like to use the word redemption sometimes, because redemption means more than salvation of an individual so they can get to heaven. It means God bringing every, Jesus through his blood, bringing everything back into reconcilia- reconciliation to God. The Father, that's why Jesus uses terms like all of creation is groaning. That's not people. That's the the system God created and Satan circumvented it through Adam and Eve and took control of this thing. So when we say, do not love this world, what are we talking about? You have to figure that out yourself. What are the things of the world that you would potentially be loving to the point where you fall into this scripture that you're no no longer loving the Father because you're loving the world? Only you can answer that for you. I mean, sometimes people from the outside can see that because it's gotten so bad, right? But you have to be able to answer that question for you. What is the, what is the things of the world? Because he says, if you, if you do, if you love the world, you don't have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. Do you realize what's not in that list? Anything Eternal. It's only temporal. Everything there is temporal. It has to do with with sensory and idea and thought, direction. And it's all about you, and it's all temporary. This is how we love the world. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. That is a huge statement that we really don't process very much. All the things that we desire so much are fading away. They're going away. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? Do, do I love the things of the world? I, I I question myself on this regularly. This is kind of a, I do this r- pretty consistently. I've got things throughout the year that I do. And I, one of the things is I read the book of James. I read the book of James every year. I actually read it a couple of times during the year. And every single time I'm like, oh, here we go. James is not polite. He's not nice. He's not that cozy little church world kind of thing that we, that we struggle with. I was thinking about this the other day and I was thinking that somebody was, I saw online or something, somebody was writing like a 365 day devotional. I think that's cool. But, and then I got to thinking to myself, what if I wrote one? It would look very different than most of them. See, here's one of the things. Those things that you get like it pops up on your phone. These are not bad. I'm, I'm picking on them just a little bit, but not horribly. It's, it's better to have that than nothing, okay? But having a scripture pop up on your phone, if that's all you're doing, uh, it's not very mature-like, okay? That's like, that's like kindergarten stuff, Okay? Um, dig in there a little bit. If that scripture really catches you, read the whole chapter or read, you know, five or six chapters on either side, that's getting in and processing and saying, what are you really trying to say, Lord? But here's the thing. Take all of your 365-day pop-up scriptures that you get and just, just make a little note on the calendar or something, however you want to do it, of every time you see the word repent in one of those. Just mark it on the calendar you're not going to have that many marks. You're going to have a lot of bless. You're going to have a lot of gift. You're going to have a lot of love. Those are important things. But after a while, you got to have a repent. And somewhere in there, you got to have a repent. But that's not how we think in American church. It's about how can I be blessed today? How can I? I, I still, I know that I say this every now and then, but I think... I think one of the greatest statements um, I've ever heard is, I just forgot his name, but uh, a lady came up to, uh, he's a national evangelist, uh, Francis Chan, came up to him after a service one time and and said, this was when he was pastor, and said, "But that worship really didn't bless me this morning. And he said, it's a good thing because we weren't worshiping you. (laughs) You should write that down. We're not here to worship us, you, me, we're not here, we're here because the king sits on the throne and he's the king. He's not just the lover of my soul, which he also is. He's not just somebody that calls me his friend, which is also true. He is also the king that is sitting on the throne. And when you have a king, you submit to a king. <clears throat> James chapter four, here's where it gets a little rough. Okay. Okay. Now, I'm not doing this, I'm, the first sentence, I'm not reading this because I think we are quarreling and fighting in this church. That's not what I'm doing. In fact, I think we are really good about not doing that. But, I don't know, if, you, if you're trying to start something, I'm talking to you. Okay. <laughs> Verse 1 of James 4. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Think about this. Marriage. The... How many of you just thought marriage when I said that? Okay. Um, Think about marriage. You realize that that, that the big fight's not disagreements. You're going to have disagreements um, and be doing everything right potentially. But when you really get into an argument, you're really at, at big odds with each other, do you realize it's because it's coming from the evil desires within you? It's coming from rebellion. It's coming from selfishness. If all you did was, and I'm saying both people, If all you did was pray for your spouse, support your spouse, and do the best you can to submit to and honor your spouse so that they have everything that they need to serve God properly, you would never be in an argument. You would disagree about stuff. But the reason you have arguments and you can't come to an agreement is because one or both of you are dealing with self. It's what I want. It's what I need. How can I... I get something. Why aren't you treating me right? All these things. It's self. Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. I hope there's nobody in the room that's under that. If you're planning on killing somebody, please come talk to me. Unless it's me. (laughs) And then go talk to the police officer out front. You are jealous of what others have. But you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Does that sound like our country right now or what? That, that, that whole few sentences, they're just, just, our country is just in that place. The evil and the scheming. And I kind of knew this ahead of time before I went to the Capitol. I mean, I did. But to see it every day and to see it played out, I did not realize the level of corruption that is in the leaders of our state. the And I guess as a legislator, I'm a leader in the state. But it, it's, amazed, it's amazed me at how deep the corruption is, how deep the brokenness is, and how deep the evil is, that they will fight for anything to get their way, to get their little sidekick of money off to the side, and and just the corruption, it is... Mind-boggling, and it's also very blatant and out there. They just don't care. They don't care if you know. I, you know, a couple times I thought I should take a picture of this. I should record this. They don't care. Record it. They don't care. the The broken corruption rules our state from the governor down. So who's going to tell? Who are you going to tell? The FBI? You going to tell the FBI? If you haven't been paying attention to the Durham report that just came out, that basically said, you're right, uh, Trump didn't do anything. We made it all up. But does anybody care? I mean, I care, but does, any, does is the other side care? No. Because we own the country, and you can take a flying leap. We don't care. Because this is the darkness that I'm talking about. And then he says, yet you don't have what you want, Because you don't ask God for it. What's he saying? You're going to get it yourself. You're trying to figure out your own path. You're trying to carve your own existence out. But you don't have what you want or need because you're not asking God, who is the originator of everything and actually in control of everything. You're not asking him. If you ask God, and then the next sentence is even more challenging. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. That, that's convicting to me. I, I pray regularly. God, please don't let me get to that. Don't let me. And if I'm there, convict me. I don't want just what's about me. I don't, because why? You hear me say this regularly. But let me give you the, Let me give you a little bit of me, so you know. I know my propensity for this. I know my ability to be selfish. I know my ability to only be about me and what I want, my desires and what pleases me and all that. I know that. And I'm fighting against that. I've been fighting against it all my life. Well, there was a time frame I didn't. But I I want what God wants. But I know my flesh does not want what God wants. So I have to fight that. The other day we were at a restaurant and Linda gave me half of her bacon. And I, and I almost gave her a piece back because I'm trying to humble myself, but I'm not there yet, guys. I mean, I make jokes about it, but you guys understand what I'm talking about. The world is so enticing, so many different levels, so much stuff, so many things. That Satan is going to try to tell you, this is good for you. This will be beneficial. Don't worry about it. I just had a recent conversation with somebody in Denver that, um, that uh, is caught up in, in an affair. And trying to discuss this and process it. You know, it's, it's interesting to me. Because I've seen this so many times. I can't even count the number of times I've walked through this with uh, people. It's interesting how, how easily Satan can convince you at that moment, it's not that big of a deal. This will be good for you. Or what Satan will do is tell you, this is your real soulmate. The person you're married to, they're a loser. Right? And Satan convinces you, this is good. Don't, don't, don't reach out for whatever just gives you pleasure. It's a, it's a dangerous trap. In fact, I had a pastor years ago. He was in his 70s. That was his youth pastor. He was in his 70s. And he would say this from the pulpit all the time, and it always made me very nervous. Because he because I was 25 and he was 70. I had ideas of how 70 year olds look at sexuality, which was not accurate. As I get older, I realize that. But and he would say, sometimes. Sometimes when I want to have relations with Dorothy, I just say no because it's not always about me. I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. Why are you saying this? Because of the 70 thing, but also why? Okay, so you understand. Let's not pursue that. Verse 4, you adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? You understand when he uses the term adulterous, which he does all through the Old Testament. One of the most common ways that God describes people turning against him in the Old Testament is he, is he talks about it being an adulterous direction, or you've, um, you've walked away, the way he says it in Revelation, you've walked away from your first love and you've begun to love something else. Okay, That's what the whole book of Hosea is about. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. He's emphasizing this. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy with God. If all of your existence and foundation and love and direction is about the world, then it can't be about God. There's a disconnect there. And and here's where the question is, is, okay, what about the things I have? What about, what if I really like, like, I really like my Jeep. Is that, is it coming between me and Jesus? Now I had I said the same thing in first service, and I had people come up to me at first service say, "No, God gave you that jeep," and then the other people coming up and saying, "It is coming between you and Jesus. It's not your business. (laughs) Me and Jesus are working out my jeep, okay, and my wife, but whatever." But but here's the thing: shouldn't you ask? Shouldn't you at least ask God the question? And and whatever it is, it's different for you than it is me. Shouldn't you at least ask God, well, God, what about this in my life that I love so much? Am I loving it more than I'm supposed to? Is it an unhealthy spiritual thing? Am I loving you the way that I'm supposed to, or is this grabbing onto my soul and spirit? Is it changing my direction, my life, my existence? This this is the way a person said this to me. I don't know if this, sometimes I think it applies, sometimes I don't. But somebody said this to me many years ago, and I had nothing to... Back in those days, it was easy for, to answer the question. He said, what if your house burned down completely and everything you have is gone? Is there anything in there that spiritually would destroy you, would really affect you? I was like, no. It's harder to ask that question truthfully of yourself the more things you get. Right? I mean, this is, this is not easy stuff. I know, I know this is not easy stuff, but this is the questions that we have to ask. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Verse 5, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit is placed within us, should be faithful to him. That makes sense. Shouldn't we be faithful to him? He's given us everything for life and godliness. Shouldn't we be faithful to him? And he gives grace generously, which is the ability to actually handle the stuff that we're talking about this morning. He gives you the grace to be able to say no to the stuff. He gives you grace to be able to see and recognize that, and this is through the Holy Spirit, which I'm talking more about next week. But this is this is the ability to say, wait a second, this might be harmful for me. But here's the here's the big thing, at least I've experienced this over the years, is There's a difference between God convicting you and you recognizing, wait a second, this could be unhealthy for me, and then doing something about it. I have found, hold on, you may want to write this down, this is deep. I have found if you ignore God long enough, you can quiet the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life. You're like, that's good to know. You can you can quench the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life if you work at it. But now you've got to live with the consequences. That's the, that's the scary part. As the scriptures say, God opposes, opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And verse 7 tells us how it works. So humble yourself before God. That is your choice. Humility is a choice. It's not innate. You have to choose to humble yourself. And I pray this. I pray this constantly. I pray this so kind. Con- in fact, I, it, it, it was, it was uh, reinvigorated in my spirit to pray this going into the Capitol. Because I see so much. When you go in there, you're important. You're a very important person. And when you leave there and you go to like restaurants around the Capitol and stuff like that, you're a very important person. That's why I don't wear my badge outside of the Capitol. I don't want anybody to know who I am for a few reasons. One is I don't want them to throw something at me. Secondly, I don't want any kind of benefit that comes from that because that's, doesn't that just basically feed your, your uh, flesh when you're all that? Remember what I read a few weeks ago in, script, in scripture that told us um, don't think uh, too highly of yourself. Because why? If self confidence comes from you, that's arrogance and that's hubris. If self confidence comes from Jesus, that you're serving the King of Kings, and so therefore you can do this or whatever, that's a difference. That's not arrogance, that's actually humility, recognizing I'm not in charge. Jesus is. I didn't build this life, Jesus built this life. I don't have the abilities that I have because of me, it's because of Jesus. You didn't. You didn't give yourself who you are. Jesus gave you that. He fashioned you in the womb. You didn't. You can't. Con, you can't control that stuff. You can't control how tall you are. I guess you could go down. I saw a video of a lady the other day that cut her arm off because she wanted to be in touch with uh, who she really was, and she felt like she wasn't an arm owner. I'm not making this up. I saw another one where this lady, and this one was on the the bald psychiatrist guy, Phil. was on the Phil show, Dr. Phil. Um, This lady blinded herself with bleach because she felt like she wasn't supposed to be a seeing person. That's not who she identified as. Guys, we are nuts. We are nuts as a country. And most everybody was like, oh, well, that's awesome. You blinded yourself. Finally, this one reporter lady said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Did you hear the pun there? Okay. (laughs) So humble yourself. You choose, I choose. Humble yourself before God. You choose that, I choose that. That doesn't just happen. Humble yourself Be intentional about this. Resist the devil. That is intentionality. You make that choice. God's already done everything. He's given you the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to Satan. He's given you everything you need. But you make the choice of whether you're going to resist Satan, his temptations. You're going to resist the stuff that he's doing. You make that choice. And, oh, by the way, it is a choice that has eternal significance. We need to hear that more in the church today, that this is reality. There is a heaven, there is a hell, and your choices are going to send you to one of those two places. Not God, your choices. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's an amazing promise. Come close to God and God will come close to you. This doesn't just mean living as a Christian. This is why our tagline, a part of our mission statement, says pursue God. Not just serve God. The term serve God is so weirdly twisted nowadays that we really believe serving God means going to church a few times a year. That that could literally be serving God. I have a Bible in my home. I'm a Christian. I'm serving God. That's not, that's not what it says here. It says come close to God. I think about Psalms 91 where it says that, that uh, the first few verses, God will cover you with his uh, wings, cover you with his feathers. That means you're on the inside of his His arms. I mean, you're up against him. I want to be so close to him that I can I can feel his his heart beating. Right? Come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands. That's your choice. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I, I don't I don't want the Lord to call me a sinner. Right? I mean, I know I am saved by grace, but I don't want to stay in that arena. I want to be closer to him. I want to get as far from the sin as I can and get as close to him as I can. That's choice. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. This is, James is not a peppy guy. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor and that's profound three things i was thinking about the world is lying to you satan is lying to you the system is lying to you the brokenness the darkness is lying to you but if you don't if you don't think there's if you don't think you're living in darkness then you're already being deceived We are consumed by darkness. But here's the difference is you don't have to look into the darkness. You look, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the light. You're the light. Do you realize the only reason you can be the light is he's shining through you? It's not because of this ambiguous thing we call the gospel that now that I believe this, I'm all of a sudden glowing. It's Jesus shining through you because he's the light. The only reason you can have truth is because Jesus' truth is coming through you. So while you're in the darkness, keep your eyes on Jesus and shine. But what happens is, and this is where it becomes dangerous for us, we take our eyes off Jesus and we start looking at the other stuff. That's what Peter did when he was walking on the water, right? He began to take his eyes off Jesus and look at the the things. So fear That's what happened there. Same thing can happen with sin, with anything else. You start taking your eyes off Jesus and you start being enticed by what those, those other options are. That's where, that's where Satan now begins to squeeze in. And if he can stop you being that light, he's won. He's beat you and he's beat God's plan for you. All right? Right? Be the light. The second thing is the world is trying to destroy. It's lying to you and it's also trying to destroy you. And, and here's the kicker, which is the foundation. Satan is in charge of the world. So Satan is the one doing this stuff. 2 Kings chapter 6. I'm just going to read a little bit of this. This is a, this is a wonderful story. It's a big, long story in 2 Kings here. It has to do with Elisha. God's telling Elisha everything about the king and the troops and all this other kind of stuff. And um, every time the king would go over here to fight a battle, God would tell Elisha. And so they would move the troops and attack over here and all this stuff. the king's getting pretty upset about this. And he says, who keeps telling Elisha all this stuff? And this guy says, "Um, there's this prophet. God's telling the prophet everything you're doing. And the king's mad. So this is the king's plan, verse 13. Go and find out where he is. This is a dumb king. All right, think about this. God's been telling Elisha everything already, so your answer is, okay, then we're going to get Elisha. You're not thinking this through, Mr. King. Go find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. Ah, not a good idea. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. God's been telling Elisha everything. Everything. You think because you're going to surround Elisha, God forgot? But here's the thing about us, and this is is a human nature thing that is mind-boggling. I'm guilty of it also, but it's also mind-boggling when I see it in others. It's how easily we can be deceived into thinking our plans are really the best plans and not God's plans. When we really think, well, God's not paying attention to this one. He doesn't know. I know the better plan. And I wonder how many times God's just gone, oh, whatever. I'm trying, but you're not given. When the servant of the man of God, this is Elisha's servant, got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. So the servant, who has also been watching all of this stuff, freaks out. He's been watching God speak to Elisha and all these things. But now the, the soldiers, it's easier for him to say, yeah, God sent the soldiers over there and God sent the soldiers. But now the soldiers are looking him in the face. It's more difficult, right? It's personal. And he freaks out. Oh, sir, what are we going to do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on, than on theirs. Doesn't it have a, a 1 John 4, 4 feel Greater greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Right? Then Elisha prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes and when he looked up, he saw the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. I've prayed for this different times in my life. God, open my eyes so that I can see the angels with the fiery swords and all the stuff. Because I really... I really felt like I needed that at the moment. And for whatever reason, God has never answered that for me. But I'm also in a place of life now where he doesn't necessarily have to. I will, I'm anticipating that I will ask this again in my future. But I am also very much okay with, God, I can read it right here in your word. And how many other times exactly the same thing happens Throughout Scripture, where God is in charge, God is in control of the whole thing. I still want to see a bunch of big angels with flame and swords. I mean, who doesn't, right? I would like to ask first, so I'm ready. Right? Okay. But but here's the reality. I know Jesus will do this. And I know it's happening. I know when I'm walking through life, we always talk about... Um, our guardian angel, I believe strongly in guardian angels because I think Scripture teaches that. But we know that Satan is messing with us and doing all this stuff. But I also know that there are angels surrounding me. There are angels surrounding you. If not, you'd have been taken out a long time ago. God's protecting you. God's got his hands on you. That's the Part of the reason I can prove that is because you're here. And you're, and you're wanting God to do something. You're listening to God's word voluntarily. That means God is guiding you. Satan didn't bring you here. He's got his hands around you. He's walking with you. Maybe God will show you that physically. He hasn't me. If he does, come tell me. All right? Now, I've got to let you know right up front, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably not believe you at first. That's just, Sorry. Verse 18. As the Aramean army advanced toward him, Elisha prayed, Oh Lord, please make them blind. He had just opened his servant's eyes. Why can't he blind their eyes? Right? So the Lord struck them with blindness as Elisha asked, and the story gets even cooler after that, but I don't have time this morning. I um I have been praying, God, cause confusion in the capital. Cause confusion with the with the liberal mindset, cause confusion. The one of the scriptures I've been using to pray that is God how up their chariot wheels come off, right? That's from scripture. I've been praying that. Um, I saw an interview yesterday or the day before of people that are not. One of them's kind of conservative, and one of them's not conservative. But they were just. It was a group that was interviewing a reporter actually, and they were they were talking, doing this an hour plus interview, and I I watched the whole thing, and they were the whole interview was about how. The Democrats are fighting with each other. The ultra-liberals are fighting against the liberals. They like to call themselves moderates, but they're not anywhere close. In the Democrat Party in the House, there's liberals, really, really liberal, and off the charts, nuts liberal. That's the three groups you have in the Capitol, and they know who they are. But now they're all fighting with each other. And some of you may not know, I didn't mention it last week, but the Monday night, our last Monday we were there, um, the entire Republican caucus, that we'd been told no. They were misusing the rules. We'd got to a point where we weren't allowed to even speak about anything now. We couldn't talk about anything. And they were just trying to run these bills through. And we're just sitting there with our hands on. We can't go up. We can't even walk up there and say something. And so we're like, we're done. So the entire Republican caucus walked out. It was the, it was the greatest moment of the entire session. And, and somebody asked me, well, I've had a lot of people ask me, so how did the last day go to end? Well, It ended wonderful. <laughs> because we just walked out. we're like, we're done. The Democrat Party fell apart, and we're attacking each other for the next two or three hours. I, that's, I've been praying that all session. i been praying that. God is really big. I've got a whole lot more requests for next session. God's really big, guys. I don't see this as casual, and I don't see that as accident. They were in lockstep when we started, and they were were attacking, yelling at each other, screaming at each other, crying, all kinds of stuff. Here's my thing. Resist the devil, and he will flee. So I want to sum it up with reading three of the verses I've already read. James 4, verse 7. So humble yourself before God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8, come close to God. And and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And then verse 10, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Why don't you stand with me? So I put it into three things I want us to pray. We're going to pray for a little bit and then we're going to break these three things up and pray for each one individually. And I'll explain that. But um, the three things, humble yourself you got to make that decision humble yourself nobody can make that decision for you humble yourself and it's and i believe it's a life decision you have to always be making it the second thing is resist the devil nobody can do that for you only you can do that humble yourself resist the devil and then come close to god don't leave that part out okay come close to god that's what we need closeness but really to come close to God you have to humble yourself first you have to alright let's pray God we lift ourselves up to you we put ourselves on your altar that you're the king and I'm not you're in charge God and as much as I try to be I'm not in charge you're the everything you. Every person in this room needs you. They need you close to them. Lord, we resist the stuff that Satan tries to lay before us, tries to entice us with. We say, no, I belong to God. hearts, our minds. Help us to be honest with you right now and honest with ourselves in the name of Jesus. Lord, if there's anything in my heart, my mind that I'm loving of this world more than you in an unhealthy way, Lord, please convict me right now. Lord, I pray that for everybody in here convict us. Show us. If there's something wrong, show us, Lord. We don't want to be arrogant and think that we're good. Jesus. I'm going to ask all three of these separately. And So, so keep your head bowed. I think it would be best if we do it that way. I'm not going to ask you to come down front or anything like that. Um, this is because it's really between you and God. But I want to include myself for the sake of prayer. But starting with the first one, if you sit in, it may be one of these for you, two of these, or all three, or whatever. But if you say, I really, the Lord is working on me, the Holy Spirit's convicting me, I need to humble myself. And I don't think I'm doing that the way that I'm supposed to. I'd like you just to raise your hand real quick. Yeah. Yeah, guys, that's that's really a major step, you know that. The first thing is saying, I need this. God, you see the hands. You see in our hearts, more importantly. God, we need to humble ourselves. Lord, I ask you to humble me. God, all three of these are for me humble myself, teach me the importance of that, teach me the necessity also Lord give me the confidence that I can do it that I can humble myself that I submit myself to the king that I recognize life's not about me, it's about you you just give us the life Lord help us to make it about you so I humble myself just talk to him about it, especially if you raise your hand. Talk to him about it. Jesus, I, I want to submit myself to you. I truly want to humble my life before you. Help me stop acting like it's all I'm in control of everything. I humble myself. In Jesus' name. The second one here you're saying this is this is where I need this the most I need I need to resist the devil more I need to I need to see that I need to learn that I need to know that if that's you raise your hand I need to resist the devil yeah yeah guys that's the lord's plan too so it's not it's not going to be impossible because the Lord's already got the plan for you He wants to do this with you. Jesus, we lift this up to you. Lord, I need to learn more and more every day. And I believe every one of us in here need to learn how to resist Satan, resist temptation, resist the stuff. As we talked about Wednesday night, we don't have to give in to temptation. Lord, you told us that in Romans 8. We don't have to. So fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power to say no to Satan, to say no to the stuff. Fill us with your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Kind of we're going to do this. We're going to, I'm making an intentional decision that I'm deciding that I will resist Satan. I will resist the devil. Lord, help us to make the decision. If you raised your hand, make the decision right now. Tell him, Lord, I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to resist the temptation. I'm going to resist Satan. And you said that when we do that, that Satan will flee from us. So, Lord, I pray that we'll see evidence of that. Just this week, we'll see evidence of when we have resisted Satan and the temptation, the junk, the stuff, the enticement, that, it, that Satan flees and takes that stuff with him. I was to see it. I was to feel it, to know it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now the last one, guys. You see, I really need this. I need to come close to God. And maybe I'm too far. I've got too much distance. I'm allowing there to be distance. Say, so i got to come close to God. If that's you, raise your hand. Got to come close to God. I got to. Lord, you know my heart with this. All these hands, Lord, we want you. We want to pursue you. As Church of Briargate, we want you, Lord God. You saw the hands. We want you. So breathe into this place, Jesus. Breathe your spirit into this place. <laughs> Lord, in the same prayer, I pray at the Capitol. I pray here. Lion from the tribe of Judah, roar in this place. Roar in our souls and our minds and our hearts. Roar in our lives. So loudly that we begin to fear you at all new levels. Roar in this place. Jesus, we want to come close to you. Come up under your covering, under your protection, under your wings. Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you. Bless us with you this week. In Jesus' name. Bless us with you. Amen. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know how amazing Jesus is. Take a chance and just tell them how much he loves them, how big he is, what he can do in their life. Take a chance. Tell them. God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them you're glad they're here, even if you have to make it up. And we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon. Don't forget the journey at my house tonight.